0: Welcome to the All About the Customer podcast brought to you by Influtive, where we talk with customer-obsessed people to uncover how you can be more customer-focused. I'm your host, Dan Kalmar. Today, I'm joined by Sam Shepler, the founder and CEO of Testimonial Hero. 350-plus B2B industry leaders like DocuSign, Medallia, HubSpot, and more use Testimonial Heroes video testimonial creation service to easily create high-impact customer video content that reduces uncertainty for buyers enables revenue teams to close deals faster. Sam's mission is to enable all organizations to grow faster through the power of customer video. Sam and I believe in a lot of the same things when it comes to tapping into the voice of your customers. We both hate the old school corporate ways of marketing and believe that nothing is as impactful as having our prospects hear directly from our customers. In today's episode, we chat about how the buyer journey has changed, shifting more power to our prospects, how content can adapt to this change through snackable content and tapping into your customer's voices, and how video testimonials can be an incredibly effective way to give your prospects what they need. Sam also takes a pretty hard swing at fake plants, so be sure to stick around for that hot take. Hey, Sam, welcome to the All About the Customer podcast. Glad to have you here.
1: Thanks, Dan. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: I've been really looking forward to our conversation. We've had other conversations, but this one, the first one recorded, I think, because while what you do at Testimonial Hero and what we do at Upshot, the mediums are different. I feel like we believe in a lot of the same things. So I think that this should be a good conversation, although maybe it would be a better conversation if we disagreed on more things. I don't know. I guess we'll find out, but maybe we can find something we disagree on.
1: Yeah, why not? You know, let's let's really like dig in and I yeah, I'm also really really looking forward to it.
0: So, this show's called all about the customers, so let's start with the customer or our prospects. Love to get your thoughts on how buyer journeys today are different from what they were in the past. And for this the purpose of this episode, I guess we can stick to the B2B SaaS space, although I'm sure it's similar to other spaces, but how do you think buyer journeys have changed?
1: Yeah, so I think It's all about more self-service and buyers wanting to self-serve and also being able to self-serve because we're in a place right now where there's just so much information out there and buyers are empowered to take the sales process into their own hands. And I think there's some generational things there too. But really, it's true for all buyers. They're just they're doing more on their own and they're waiting to talk to a salesperson much later in the process. And to the point where like often they're probably 80 percent of the way to a decision before they talk to sales. Right. It's just it is a general like a better way to buy hopefully for both parties. If I'm a buyer and I can do my research before I talk to a sales rep, I'm going to have a better conversation to begin with and I'm going to make the most use of my time as well as the customer, the seller's time.
0: Sam touched on an important aspect right out of the gate here. This shift in buying behavior is better for our customers. They're in the driver's seat now. That's probably how you could sum up what's happening. It's not us dictating the information they consume they get to search in answers to their questions. They get to have conversations with their peers without us in the room. So that doesn't mean that those in marketing or sales don't get to have any say in this, but it does mean that we have to rethink how we're marketing. So how do you think content needs to adapt to this new buyer's journey?
1: One of the things is just the quality needs to be higher of everything. When people didn't self-serve as much, you can just have Mirage content and it's like, Oh, this company has a blog. Great. I'll go talk to their sales rep. Right. But like that's not really the case anymore that the bar is just getting raised every single year in many different respects. And I think we're seeing a lot of that with more companies making a push to be basically start media company arms and or acquire media companies. And when I say media companies, I mean things like, um, podcast that's on an independent domain from the company and stands alone as a valuable and interesting and engaging thing in its own right. And in addition to just raising the bar, I think we have to be more empathetic to how people want to consume and enjoy content. And like, we don't have a captive audience. That means we need to try harder to package things in a way that is much easier to consume. That often sounds like you need to make it like shorter and often video, right? Not always, but that that's one obvious example, right? Your prospects are probably on TikTok and they're watching videos. Like you're competing with everything. It's like Netflix, I think their CEO at one time said like, our biggest competitor is not some other service. And now they have some big competitors, but the Netflix CEO said, he's like our biggest competitor is sleep, right? It's like yeah. in that same sense with content and all forms of content, you're kind of competing against the whole ecosystem. So. Yeah, you can't rest on your laurels anymore, I think. And like we need to deliver more value and more engagement in a shorter time frame and also let people have this more atomized or snackable approach, right? People don't always want to sit down and read a 10-page ebook or listen to a whole podcast episode. They hopefully will eventually, but you might need to create the clips first of that podcast, put them out on LinkedIn, people hear the 60 second clip, maybe they hear another 60 second clip. That's the appetizer that drives them to like the entree of the full episode. That is a big thing. Really thinking about packaging the content, specifically purpose built for different mediums. And then of course, mention video. Video is obviously very powerful on social. Part of the reason is because We're in a moment in time where the social algorithms want to make that happen, so they will promote short videos, and you'll get a lot of reach. And I think obviously text has a ton of benefits too that video doesn't have. That you need both, but yeah, just kind of understanding the overall mix.
0: And when you think back to your point around so much of the buyer decision has already happened before they talk to a rep, like you mentioned, a kind of vague number of eighty percent. Like, how do you think about content then of getting to that 80% understanding? What are the different things you need to hit on? What are the different mediums or messages that marketers currently aren't doing to help customers self-serve a little bit better?
1: Yeah. It's important to really map out what questions, fears, and doubts that your buyers have at different stages of your journey. And make sure you're hitting all those questions. I think there's a lot of talk that the marketing funnel isn't quite as a neat and tidy funnel, and I think that's true, right? It's like we have we can make perfect little funnel-shaped triangular diagrams and say, okay, like here's how people buy. But as we know, it's not quite that simple. So like another model that sometimes is almost more like a matrix model, or like you can think of it as like a bingo card type model, where you have different personas, different questions that they might have questions, fears, or doubts throughout the buyer journey. And then you can just prioritize based on that. And slowly but surely, you can check off a lot of those boxes and work on a priority basis. We call this customer selling when we tell these stories through the voice of the customer. But at the end of the day, it's just like understanding what do your buyers want or need to understand in different places of their buyer journey and making sure that you have at least the most important basis covered there. And then you can also think what's the medium for that or what are the multiple mediums, right? So if you're getting a really common objection after the prospect has had a sales call, great thing to do is just address that objection with a video or a piece of content from customers.
0: Let's dive into that part. Like, why do you feel like it's so important for it to come from customers instead of coming from us?
1: Well, it's just a bit more credible, right? And I know you're 100% of this mind, but the reality is as buyers, we trust our peers much more than we trust vendors. It's not that we actively distrust vendors, most people don't. I think like 10% of people like actively distrust vendors, but like overall, most people buyers and I would agree is like we think vendors have good intentions, but we do understand that they are often overly optimistic and they tell the best side of the truth, right? So with that in mind, we want to hear more from peers. That I think, whether it's an upshot or it's a video testimonial, having that peer evidence just makes everything much more credible than just basically having a vendor or brand say, yes, here's the answer to that.
0: I want to get into the kind of one other point to that, but when we talk about the credibility, it's interesting that you like you feel it's as low as like 10% of people don't trust companies. I feel like it's probably way higher. One Gartner number I saw, I think it was like 55% of consumers don't trust brands Mm. and it was like 70% don't trust marketers. But I think whatever the real number is, I think it's just like people are just tired of being burnt, right? Like we're just tired of being marketed to. We know that even if people aren't, necessarily trying to be malicious. Even a salesperson isn't trying to be a jerk. They have an incentive to sell you this product, whether it's a fit for you or not. So I think that's probably always in the back of our mind. But I think even just getting past the trustworthiness, which I think is such an important factor, I think hearing from our customers also just allows our prospects to feel what it's like to buy this product, right? put themselves in their shoes. Because when you're selling B2B SaaS products, these are often very huge investments, right? Like you're sometimes can lose your job if you make the wrong purchase. And maybe it's not with something that's a small monthly charge that is easily reversible. But if you're looking at revamping your data center or something like that, that's a huge risk that you're taking by going with a particular vendor. So by hearing directly from the people you hope to be, I think it can also just help you tap into their knowledge and help you not maybe make the same mistakes that other people have made.
1: Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. And also I'd say like, in addition to the credibility benefits, it's just more interesting. It's just so much more interesting to hear from a customer who is a similar persona to you, you know, whether it's from like an upshot or a video testimonial where you're like, it's way more candid because you're actually hearing directly from the person at a high level What we can understand from these cultural and marketing shifts that are happening, buyers really value things that come from their peers. They're starting to value vendor collateral less. There's some pretty good research coming out on this. That doesn't mean we all need to stop producing vendor collateral, but it begs the question, how can we understand and incorporate what buyers like about this peer information into our vendor collateral. And a huge part of that is I think first person voice, having a way more candid information. And sometimes, and I I think we were talking about this before, is like, I've been moving away from saying authentic because it's become such a loaded term. (laughs) You know what I mean? And like now I'm using the word like candid. Mm. The definition of candid is truthful and straightforward. It's just like, I'm not sure what the definition of authentic is off the top of my head because it's such a loaded term. But to me, that's like what we have to do in our customer stories is be straightforward and be truthful. And like that starts with the actual first person insight and information from the customer, not like a third person like, oh, here's the situation. I'm going to talk about it and then I'll sprinkle in two quotes from the customer, et cetera
0: on that topic of candidness or authenticity or whatever we want to call it, I think it's easy for marketers to understand why that's better for our prospects, right? They're getting this unfiltered information directly from their peers. It's going to help them make better buying decisions, but that's also really scary for us as marketers, right? Like we want to control the narrative. We want every word to be in the exact right order. We don't want our product referred to as this. We want it referred to as that. But, what would you say to people who are skeptical of tapping into that candidness? Like that that's a pretty scary thing for marketers. We understand why it's better for our customers, but why is it also better for us as marketers to tap into that candidness and give up the reins a little bit?
1: Yeah, great question. And there's a couple of things. Like one is that there's been studies that have shown like it's actually better not to have all five-star reviews. Let's use reviews, for example. It's like your credibility of your, if you have 100 five-star reviews, it's actually better to have 90 five-star reviews and then like a smattering of other reviews, right? Just from a credibility standpoint, that's one idea. And you can kind of apply that to a lot of things on this topic. To use the example, and like, obviously we're Upshot customers, big fans of Upshot. And you're testimonial here, customers. Well, so I think in our situation, we still get final control of the narrative. It's more about taking it in the format that doesn't dilute the power of the first-person customer voice. It's still technically vendor-produced content. It's still absolutely vendor collateral. It's not an independent third-party thing. However, it's kind of like the best of both worlds. Coming back to what I mentioned earlier, it's like, yes, as vendors, we still need to produce collateral. There's no doubt about that. We should still be trying to produce things that are helpful for our buyers and their buyer journey. But let's take what they like about this more direct, candid feeling and peer information and combine that with also controlling what we can. And obviously not over controlling it because then you lose the candidness of it. But I think it's at the end of the day, like striking that balance.
0: Yeah. We don't have to kid ourselves that when we produce voice of the customer content that we're not producing marketing material. We are. But how can you do it in a more natural, or as Sam calls it, candid way? Marketers are scared to give up too much control. We want our messaging a certain way. But guess what? Your prospects can see through that. And since they crave that connection to our customers, aka their peers, we need to give them that. You can accomplish this in baby steps. It doesn't have to happen all at once. But the next time you're creating content that uses the voice of your customer, ask yourself, what can you let slide? What's something that's maybe not exactly how you would frame it, but has a chance to resonate with your prospects? Trust your customers, even just a little bit. That's the key to creating more candid customer content. I want to get into talking about video because that's your bread and butter. That's what you do. Why do you think video is such a great medium To tackle the things we've been talking about, which is you know how buyer journeys have changed, the need to create kind of atomized, snackable content, the need to create candid content. Like why is video such a great medium to do all these things?
1: Yeah. First I'll say where does video actually lack, and then I'll go where it's awesome. The main criticism I hear of video, it's hard to skim a whole video. Like you can skim like an article, right? You can skim a case study or something. So like maybe that is the challenge with video, although I would say arguably the solution there is creating more, you know, sure, you can't skim a three-minute video, but instead, let's give prospects the option to watch a 15-second video on social before they need to watch a a three-minute video, right? So it's like, you know, using video in, I think, more current and more up-to-date lengths and formats, basically giving people an option to just have a more bite-sized piece before they dive in, that solves a good amount of that challenge. But as far as like, why video? The first thing is just, you can really see people's faces and you can get people's tone. And there's so much that we get from reading body language and actually looking at faces, just from like a straight up evolutionary biology perspective. So much of trust signals and just social cues are much more than just a text, right? So like when you read something, read a quote and written versus you watch and listen to that same quote, there's a power in that that you're just not going to fully get in text, right? You can see the person's eyes light up. You can feel the emotion. So that's very powerful. In addition to that, I would say when you start with video – you can always move to the textual formats as well, which is obviously fantastic. And we've talked about the opportunities here and we're actually doing that right now. Shout out to to Upshot of like creating upshots of videos, right? So we have a video, we have the transcript, we can still create the upshot, but basically like it doesn't really work typically in reverse. If you start with a written case study, you can't move it to video. So I could probably go on forever on this, but last bit I'll say is just like, The adaptability for promotion and whether it's 15 second ad on paid social, taking a 60 second video and distributing it programmatically across connected television, I think that is going to be a huge new push in B2B is all of these kind of connected smart TV platforms. We're going to be able to target extremely well and programmatically push out video ads over like smart TV ad networks. So yeah, just like the ability to drive paid campaigns with video is basically sky's the limit and it's not slowing down.
0: That's one thing that I think that you and your team at Testimonial Hero do a really good job of and something that you're a big champion for, you know, going back to this idea of snackable content that you can record, you know, when we do on-site video shoots or remote Video shoots. Obviously, the on-sites are a lot bigger lift, but you're taking up a, a reasonable amount of the customer's time. So, don't you want to get a lot of different stuff from that? And I think what a lot of folks do is they'll just do one two-minute video and then call it a day. But what you're able to do is take all those like little bits of content that maybe it didn't fit in with the overall narrative of what this video was, but it was a, such a great little sound bite that can help at certain points of the funnel that can help with just a single objection that your sales team often faces right before closing the deal. You can create these little snackable size content that can just fit in anywhere and can really be embedded throughout this entire buying journey. And I think a lot of folks in video aren't really doing that. They're just focused on like, hey, let's just create this good two minute video that's really high production value and then call it a day and then I guess throw out the rest of that material.
1: Yeah, no, it's true. And I think it's kind of the movement from the old way was this very monolithic asset. We'd create this, invest a ton of like tens of thousands of dollars in a monolithic two to three minute video. But nowadays there has been this shift from like monolithic to micro content. That doesn't mean that we need to ditch the two minute video. Maybe the two minute video is like a mid funnel asset, but we're able to also have a lot more options as well
0: which should be exciting for people. So why does all this matter? We talk about the change in buyer journeys. We talk about how content should hopefully adapt in these more snackable ways that allow people to self-serve. Why do you think all of this matters?
1: I think it matters because it can help us close deals faster at the end of the day, right? And especially if we can use it throughout the buyer journey. And That is one of my biggest gripes with the old way or like frustrations with like the old way of thinking. And a lot of companies still kind of view customer stories as like a bottom of the funnel activity. (laughs) And the reality is since buyers want to self-serve more than ever, they want to hear from customers basically as soon as possible. They just may want to hear from them in a short blurb or a 30-second video clip, right? So it's not that customer stories are a bottom-of-the-funnel activity. It's the way that marketers and companies have been producing them, you know, if it hasn't updated in 10 years, like by definition, that becomes a bottom-of-the-funnel activity because no one who's not at the bottom of the funnel is going to invest the time to, like, dig into an asset that's that relatively in-depth, right? So it's kind of an, an inversion, I'd say, that has occurred where we think... It's bottom of the funnel because we're producing it in that way, but there's nothing that's inherently bottom of the funnel about it when it's in the right format. So coming back to why it matters, it's because trust is the ultimate currency, right? And trust is what companies need to grow as fast as possible. On the inverse, if you don't have enough trust, like you're just going to be grinding to a halt or you're going to have trouble kind of closing deals, right? If you look at the data, most deals in B2B SaaS are not lost to competition. They're lost to indecision. Last study I looked at, I think, which is like Harvard Business Review, 40 to 60% of B2B deals are actually lost to indecision. And when does indecision happen? It happens when there's uncertainty. And that's what happens when we don't trust that we can actually get the ROI that the seller is actually presenting us with. So there's probably nothing more important if we want to close more deals and close them faster, move people through the pipeline faster, win more of the deals that we already have in our pipeline which particularly in fall 2022 is incredibly important. All have to do a bit more with maybe a bit less in in this economic climate. We have to win the deals that we have. We can't afford to not take advantage of the pipeline that we have. So yeah, at the end of the day, it's all about closing more deals, closing more of the deals we have, closing deals faster by actually reducing or Eliminating that uncertainty and indecision that is the number one single B2B deal killer.
0: So, what haven't we talked about around this topic of you know changing buyer journeys and and how content can adapt that you think would be good for the listeners to know?
1: One of the things that I think about a lot is this idea that when it comes to customer stories, video testimonials, that high quality and being candid or being authentic are not mutually exclusive and it seems simple but a lot of companies seem to have this idea that if something is low quality it's automatically authentic and if something is high quality it's automatically inauthentic and therefore it's acceptable to have things that are lower quality because authenticity is what matters i don't agree with that and i'll share a little bit more why the Authenticity or the candidness is much less about the production quality. And it's more about what the person is saying, how they're saying it, you know, how they're delivering it. That matters. Like, you can have very good production quality. And if the person, if your customer is actually happy and that passion is coming through, and as long as you don't stick a fake plant in the background and make the video look like it was shot in like 1995, which hopefully no one is going to do, you're going to have a very authentic high quality video. So it's it's definitely not mutually exclusive. Conversely, you can have a low quality video and a person is practically looking down at their notes every two minutes to be like, oh, what was I going to say? So it's like it, a lot of it comes to how it's captured and is it like uh, unscripted, conversational, and is there, your customer properly warmed up to be on camera so they can talk naturally. So yeah, that's just something that I I'm just really passionate about because to me, they're not at all mutually exclusive. And I see a lot of our personal customers reaping the benefits of both. Because when you have something that's authentic and high quality, you get more utility on where you can use it. You can then use it like on your homepage. You can use it to kick off a board meeting. You can use it at your sales kickoff up on screen on a huge projector because the quality stands up versus like if you're sort of subscribing to this idea that low quality is enough because it's authentic you're just for one like you you really only get one opportunity to do this with a customer so it's like do you really want to spend your political capital for this ask to capture something that isn't gonna have the, the optionality to use in a bunch of mediums. So it's like whether or not people work with us to do it, I would just urge people to move past this idea that they're mutually exclusive because you want to get the most mileage out of that. And starting with the best quality in the beginning gives you a lot more options. And absolutely, yes, it needs to be authentic, it needs to be candid, but there's a lot more nuance than about what actually goes into that than simply the obvious like production quality.
0: Would you also urge people to get rid of their fake plants? Is that also one of the takeaways from what you saw?
1: <laughs> As someone who's really has a poor track record of watering plants, I would actually say, keep your fake plant, but maybe move it at, just out just of, out of frame for the corporate video.
0: Yeah. I just get snake plants. You really can't kill those things. That's trying. a good tip. I That's what I need to do. Okay. Go on forever. Yeah. So, so the wrap-up question, I always like to end these with, if you could give one piece of advice that our listeners could take with them that they could implement today, tomorrow to make themselves more customer-centric, what would it be?
1: Yeah, I think it would probably be kind of just reiterating something we talked about earlier around understanding what QFDs, question fears, and doubts buyers have. Let's call them objections to keep it simple. Understand what your common objections are and then intercept those objections with the voice of the customer, right? So in the video sense, that could look like, okay, right before people move to the next stage, after you have your first call with them, after the first call, you have a common objection, you need to get them from call number two with your SDR to the next call, create a piece of content with your customers, maybe a compilation of three customers that addresses that objection, right? So yeah, I would say understand your objections and then rather than trying to just handle them completely yourself, which obviously you're going to want to do, make it easier, make it way easier to handle those objections and actually not even have to handle them because you're able to intercept them by leveraging the voice of the customer in a scalable way. And that's another thing that we could talk about is reference calls. There's a place for those, but you also can burn out references really easily. And if you have the right customer video content, you will deflect a ton of reference calls, you'll avoid reference burnout. And it's something that basically you invest in once and you have your customers basically selling on your behalf going forward, as long as they're still customers, etc. That's actually a whole nother topic. So not to get into a big tangent. But yeah, that's those that's probably what I would say for that.
0: Awesome. Well, Sam, this has been great. Thanks so much for being on the show.
1: Yeah, Dan, this was an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it.
0: The buyer journey has changed. It's good for our customers. Is it good for us? Eh, Maybe. It's good in the sense that it's an opportunity for us to better serve our future customers. By being the company that reaches them where they are, that provides the materials they need to make the most informed purchasing decisions, we can stand out from the other options out there that insist on marketing to them the same old way. Creating more content to allow our prospects to self-serve sounds like an intimidating task. sounds like we need to make 10 times the content that we're currently making. And maybe we do, but there's a shift that you can take in the short term, which is to tap into the voice of your customer. A common theme throughout this conversation with Sam is that the voice of our customer is unparalleled, candid, authentic, unscripted, unforced, whatever you want to call it. Using your customers to sell is what will help you stand out. Now more than ever, our prospects don't trust us. That's why they do so much of the research on their own without talking to our sales reps. They trust each other. Let's tap into that and finally meet our customers where they are on their new buying journey. This has been the all about the customer podcast brought to you by Influtive. I've been Dan Kalmar. For the record, I think fake plans are fine, but what do I know?